This was a great one. Is the first episode we were able to do over Skype, something we've been trying to work on for a little while. If you listen to this podcast, you're probably figuring out we pride ourselves in good arborist discussion, tree climbing discussion. The technology side isn't always our strong point, but Jamie's been crushing it, figuring it out, and so we're able to make it work. At some points, though, you might hear a little static, and there's just nothing you can do. That's that's just the internet connection we're working with. If you want to see the video of this or any of the other episodes that we got video of, go check out our YouTube, Tree Thinking. It's been out there for a little bit, so we have a few episodes on there. I'm sure there'll be more content coming soon, so go check it out. Like usual, thank you so much for your support, everybody. The The number one thing you can do to support this show is just watch it. Subscribe on whatever platform, whether it's the YouTube, whether it's your iTunes or your Spotify, subscribe. The next thing you can do is share it with other people. We're always trying to grow and uh, get the word out there to more people, add more people to the field crew. So uh, if you can share it, that's great. And if not, just listening to it, it's much appreciated. So hopefully you guys are enjoying it. Uh, like always, we're always welcoming any kind of feedback. Podcast at gmail.com. Send us an email or send us a message over any of the social medias. We'd love to get them. And with that, we'll take care of some business and get right to it. This podcast is for informational purposes only. It is not, nor is it intended to be, a substitute for professional arboriculture advice and should never be relied upon to perform or direct arboricultural work. The Tree Thinking Podcast makes no representations as to the accuracy, completeness, or suitability of any information on this podcast will not be liable for any damages arising from the use of any information in the practice of arboriculture or tree work. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the guests and their appearance on the podcast does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity they represent. The podcast and its hosts are not to be held responsible for misuse, cited, and or unsighted copies of the content within this podcast by others. The Tree Thinking Podcast may not be reproduced or distributed without the express written consent of the Tree Thinking Podcast. The ARC is a training hidden in a competition where they introduce a bunch of arborists to different rope access skills. Anytime you can learn something new that relates to climbing ropes, you add to your toolbox of skills and become a better tree climber. Not to mention, it's a lot of fun. On this episode of the Tree Thinking Podcast, we talk to the crew and listen to them break down how the competition went, what they learned, and the overall takeaways from the Aerial Rescue Challenge. All right, well, on this episode, we're going to be talking about the Aerial Rescue Challenge. That's the ARC Challenge that was up in Washington. Uh, But before we get too far into it, I'm Andrew. Jamie. Charles. Dan. And Justin. Awesome. Well, you guys were all there competing. I was not, so I'm just going to sit back and listen to what you guys have to say. (laughs) Yeah, it was fun. It was... uh... We haven't had competitions here in the PNW for like two summers, you know, and really yeah. missed them. So we'll just start talking about the first day, like right when we showed up for gear check, even for me, that was cool just to like see all those familiar faces again. And, uh, 
just feel the vibe of the competition. I really missed it. And we just got back from Naomi, so we got a little more of that. Now we got to wait till next summer and hope hope we got got some more of that. Yeah. Did you guys take any way? Well, you're a new competitor. That was your first ever competition. Like, do you have any thoughts on the gear check process or anything like that? Uh, not really. Yeah, it was pretty much what I expected. Yeah, no DQs. It, it, no. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't bring it. It was a lot different than how they usually perform them at ISA. Yeah. Um, it was, it was a little bit more lax, but that might've just been, you know, the particular person checking gear. Right. I, I think they, they had a few different people doing it. Not everybody was kind of doing it the same way. Yeah. Yeah. I think they've relaxed a little bit on the gear check, but yeah, it depends on who checks your gear. Yeah, right. that may have had it may have had a lot to do with kind of uh, the the format of the event and how much um, of the the gear that was provided That's that we true. were going to be using anyways. Yeah, you know? we didn't really use right. any of our own gear. <laughs> we were yeah, yeah, we were really expecting it. Yeah, yeah. everybody was expecting to use their own stuff a lot more. I think than they actually did. So, well, that's what I was going to say yeah. about the competition. The number one thing I would say was everything that you know about tree climbing doesn't matter. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. You use the access, but besides that, I was shocked by how different it was. Yeah. So it was cool to be exposed to a whole different world. Yeah. Rope access. Yeah. Yeah, It's definitely a different beast. Yeah. I'll do my Andrew impression here. And before we get too far into that, I should, uh, I should lay out what, what arc was. So it's the aerial rescue challenge put on by Wesper. I think it was kind of Dave Stice's, uh, you know, came from the mind of Dave Stice and what it does is it blends, uh, tree work with rope access stuff. Right. So we do, yeah, Sprat. And so basically what that means is we're using a lot of like descenders and ascenders and you're you're backed up by the asap that like fall protection kind of just training us in a different way to like think about rescues i guess um just adding more tools to our arsenal but it was three days of well dave said he tricked us into three days of training by uh telling us it's a competition right (laughs) first day was training until you know, the afternoon, then we got through one event and then the next day was a full day of events. And then the master's challenge was on the, the last day. So I guess we could start talking about the trainings that happened on that first day. Yeah. I was happy about the training because I don't know that Sprat stuff. Um, um, you know, they do professional rope access, towers cranes uh, water towers all that stuff windmills oil rigs yeah all that stuff so it's whole industrial um rope work that i'm not familiar with other than trees and so it was a it's good training for me for that and it's totally you know like i said a different beast and uh, i like the training i like the fact that I was worried that we just get a little bit of training and then get thrown into a competition. And there's like two different kinds of people there, people that know that stuff and people who don't. 
And those people are really in the competition. The rest of us are kind of just kind of learning. Yeah. But it was nice that as soon as we hopped into a, in a into a, one of the competitions, soon as the um, teachers realized that we really didn't know ex- what, ex- <laughs> what we're doing, you know, then they switched to teaching mode. You know, it's like, okay, these guys, we're just going to teach them. We're going to teach them how to back things up, everything backed up and, and all that stuff. So it ended up being just three days of teaching for me. Actually. No, a hundred percent. And all the teachers were super, super nice about it and didn't act like you yeah, were they're totally dumb great. for not knowing, you know, they totally understood. Yeah. And, and yeah, yeah, I appreciate it. Like Dan was saying that they didn't treat it like a competition as soon as they realized that you didn't know what you're yeah. doing. Yeah. Yeah. So how many yeah. people that were there were tree people compared to people that worked in other industries i would say 95 percent tree people okay wow if yeah, i yeah. had to guess yeah it might have been all tree like people. but a lot of them have training in sprat it's exactly. like this new training that they've been doing yeah you no know, there, there were people who knew both sides of this yeah yeah there were a few people who were primarily tree workers who who came into it with some prior knowledge or who had already been like irata trained or sprat trained but it right. was a pretty short list of people i think yeah, yeah. That, definitely yeah. some people prepared a little bit more than others yeah which yeah. that information was out there like uh dave had posted something on the arc website about being familiar with like petzl asap and uh i think uh, he said like the, the skate block. Line. i, I can't like remember what you call that but us. Uh, yeah the, <laughs> the skate block system what's the lowering system that um uh, is like a doubled rope system, yeah. essentially. The skate block. Like, skate block, yeah. He yeah. mentioned that, too. So. Yeah. So, you know, had I prepared a little bit better, maybe it wouldn't have been such a, uh, such a surprise. Yeah. It was a great training. I think Tree Palooza does the same thing, that Tree Palooza competition. They do, it's like Sprat type of thing where they're rescuing people out of a plane and stuff. And Oh, wow. So these people have experience from that too. Oh, nice. I'll have to check that one out. That That's such a good way to do it. I, in the past, I've learned so much when I've cross-trained with firefighters or, you know, you think about how we got single rope from a lot of the, you know, people reading books about, you know, ascending rocks or, ca- you know, exploring caves or something. So anytime there's so much value in cross-training these different industries with these different styles. How much how much of that new gear do you think you're going to invest in and kind of bring back into your own kit? Great question. We're all high yeah, ASAPs, right? <laughs> I left, leave, I left the competition thinking I'm going to buy this stuff. I'm yeah. going <laughs> to go to Sprat class. I'm all enthusiastic and stuff, but it's starting to fade a little bit. I'm starting to get back into just tree work. Yeah. For me personally, as far as the aerial rescue application, I, I like to train with what I have in my bag. I would, yeah. I think I will buy a rig or an ID at some point, and that would try to train with that. That would be an ideal device to have. But realistically, I left it in the other truck. I've only got the climbing gear that I normally climb with, so that's what I like yeah. to train with on the regular because I'm not going to climb a tree with an ID to prune it. You know. It's, yeah, yeah, but having a heavy-duty uh, descending device like that can be really good to have in your kit. Um Especially if, uh, like, I just had the opportunity to, to do some climbing in the Sequoias, and having a device that you can 
go really long distances on without like heating it up too much. Yeah. That's important. Yeah. So yeah, I would, I would recommend buying a rig or something like that because you have lots of, you have more than one purpose for it. But um, I don't see too much. I don't see myself working off of two lines like that ever really like when it comes to tree work i realized standards could change but they would have to change and before i incorporated something like that so the eject seems like there's not a whole lot of application directly um it's mostly like they're the descending devices they use i think make a lot of sense and uh yeah, the yeah, it's less gear. It's more principles, I think, that that I enjoyed getting from the whole thing, like the forces, the physics of of rigging, physics of uh, um, of some of these rescue scenarios. Thinking about the loads that you might be putting on something. Yeah, yeah. for sure. So yeah, we'll talk about the trainings that happened that day. The first talk was the like first response kind of thing, and I thought that was awesome where they. He really pointed out yeah, um, Steve Connolly. Yeah. During patient assessment, it's obvious, right? He's like, you're a human, you know, when something looks wrong with a human, right? You, you can tell yep. if something's wrong, which I, I, that was huge for me. Cause I always thought it was way more complex than that. Like I need to figure out exactly what's wrong with this person to, to relay that information to an EMT or whatever. But honestly, if you're telling them what you're seeing, yeah. You know, that's good enough. They're the pros in that. They'll figure that out. And a lot of yeah. a lot of the uh the people, you know, the uh people that answer the phone at 911, they know the right questions to ask to figure out what they want. So they'll probably be able to steer you through that conversation pretty well. Yeah. Yeah, that was That great. was I think one of the most valuable pieces to me uh Connolly, Steve, right? Yeah. Um his whole talk and his whole focus on the patient approach made a lot of sense and it it, it's definitely something that has been missing in the way that i think about aerial rescue um or any kind of like emergency response that you might come into um at work like really slowing down thinking hey what is the best thing for this person right now and and you're only going to know that if you do the assessment like you might be hurting somebody worse if you're moving them or you might be unnecessarily taking a risk by moving them yeah. where they could be fine up in the tree. They might be like totally conscious. They might just be, they might have an injury that doesn't require getting them to the ground right away. And so that's something that you're only going to, or you're, you're going to navigate those situations better if you're performing a thorough and just like, common sense patient assessment yeah that's what it was common sense assessment but we we train a lot on how to get them down or if you are training that's what you're training on it's like how to bring them down not necessarily that patient assessment you know exactly and then the next talk was all about like you were saying the vector forces that could be applied with rope angles and stuff and that that was cool but for me, my brain wasn't fast enough to keep up with what, with, with the, all the numbers they were throwing out there. I think it could yeah. have been a little more simplified for me personally because they were straight up doing equations on the back of the van. <laughs> that was, yeah, that was fun. That was fun. Yeah. Yeah. 
what what's an example of like the the forces that we're talking about like a scenario are you talking about if you had multiple rope angles, people on the line rope angles and pulleys yeah okay lots of crazy That's fast math and one guy in the audience shouting out the answer every time yeah that was impressive <laughs> definitely the math but it was talking uh vector forces and once you know how how they're like magnified greatly as your rope angles you know get past a certain point i can't remember what that kind of uh point was what was it 70 degrees yeah so 120 degrees it i think at 120 degrees i could be wrong about this we need our fact checkers right <laughs> um but i think it that's where it equals one right sounds right um, like so if you had if you had 180 degrees the rope going up through block the force at your anchor is going to be basically two times what you know you'll have a load on one side load on the other and they're yep. equal so you take 100 pounds and 100 pounds and actually equals 200 pounds of the anchor. As you start to pull those angles out from each other and you got it all the way up to 108 or 120 degrees, I think that then it would actually be like the force on one end of the line is the same as the force of the anchor. It's like a one-to-one -one at mm. that point. Yeah, yeah. But then it also that changes getting worse as you get once again go higher from there. Yeah, yeah. and it, it yeah. changes the angle of pull also because th this sounds a lot of like the uh, the tree stuff webinar we watched with Ta Taylor Hamill in his basement. He was talking about this a lot of the same stuff. It, right? it was, yep, okay. totally. Okay, that's a good webinar to like understand what we're talking about, and and he he really puts vector forces in a basic terms that someone like me and Andrew can understand. Yeah. <laughs> so the better the angle, the better, yes. you know, yeah. less angle, the, the force is really increased. And then the more angle you can get the better. Yeah. Yeah. And, and they're talking rescue scenarios with that, but that just applies to rigging in a tree. Like everything. In the tree. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. So after all those talks, I think we had some lunch or something, but then it was time for our, our first event, which I thought was cool. It was like my favorite event there, I think, which is we ascended the climbers line below them, kind of leapfrogged them, set up a mechanical advantage to lift them out of their system and lower them onto ours. So we did a pickoff with either a Petzl ID or a rig, which I thought was interesting because I remember seeing a webinar where you could only do pickoffs with a two-person load-rated device, right? And the, yeah. the ISC D4 was one of those. But we learned you could do it with added friction. So we had from the ID or the rig a carabiner on our harness, so the tail would come down there, and you'd hold it up like that, and that extra friction was enough to lower uh, okay. two people on. I thought that hmm. one was huge, and we did pretty good on that one. <clears throat> yeah, I think Dan was up first. That's the one we did okay on. <laughs> yeah, that was most like what we're used to. Yeah. 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 We learned. No. Yeah. Oh, yeah. go ahead. I just, I like that one where they were teaching us, like we had the slide line coming out. Maybe I'm jumping ahead. Yeah, that's. we'll get to that one, the work climb. Or yeah. the, that was like the team rescue, The team right? challenge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, yeah. Ascending, uh, ascending a climber's line below them is something I'd always been curious about. And, you know, if the anchor's good, the rope's good, you know, if you're able to verify all that, it's a pretty sweet 
sweet way to get up there, especially if they're out in like open space. You know, they've taken a redirect and they're super efficient, fast yeah, rescue trail right to them. for yeah. the right situation. I think that's everything with aerial rescue is like, yeah. it has to be that situation and you've had to verify all the variables Yeah, before you proceed with Yeah, your plan. absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Any other takeaways from that one? Uh, well, they, they said, what they say? What they ding us on? We didn't do a much uh, assessment of the tree was one of the things they yeah, dinged we, us on. I think we did. Well, we, we did. Didn't fully walk around the tree. Like they wanted to yeah, physically cool. see us do that. Yeah. 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 Yeah, but there were ferns in the way. I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah. Um, we would have to step through the ferns. <laughs> this is an it was the, the 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 like uh work zone area they had cordoned off there was kind of narrow on one side of the tree. So I know like personally that was part of why I didn't do it. I was like, oh that looks tight over there, but that's kind of a funny little and detail. Oh yeah. <laughs> Should have just walked all the way around. Kind of cool how they set it up. So there was four of us on the team, and they gave us a certain amount of time to do it. I can't remember what it was, like 20 minutes or something. And Dan was the first to go. So however fast Dan could do the rescue, whatever time was remaining, we could get other people through for points, right? Okay. But if Dan yeah. took up the whole 20, 20 minutes, that's it, you know? Yeah. We were able to get three of us through, which, okay. was, which was pretty cool. One team, I think, like Noel's got all four of them. Yeah. 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 I I liked that one the most because I feel like that I learned a lot from that. Being able to ascend, you know, below them, leapfrog, pick them off, bring them down. That's 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 an awesome way to get into the tree and and start your rescue if you can, right? Yeah. Yeah. And then there was the cross hall. (laughs) So. The cross foreign hall. equipment. Yeah. That was the one. Foreign equipment. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So the orientation, cr- right? That was one of the challenges. Orientation of the Petzl ASAP. ASAP. Yep. Um, ASAP. And yeah, this is also one of those training situations where they did a demonstration of this particular event for us as part of the training. And that, that was to help familiarize us with the gear. But I, I know personally, I felt like I still didn't understand everything I was looking at. Um, and, or it, mostly it came down to the ASAP kind of being a foreign component in, the, in that system. Otherwise, it would have been a fairly straightforward system. You had a, a friction device, a rope going up to a block, line coming back down, being tied to a load. And then the identical thing on the other side from so- a different anchor. So what the whole the, idea being that you can move this load back and forth. And so then there's also a hauling component to that system too, which you would add in. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So, Is that right? Yeah. So what the event was just for people that weren't there was there was a big bucket of concrete. So, you know, probably a hundred pounds or something like that. Um, and, and the idea was to pick up the concrete, lift it up and over like a, like a sports tent and without touching the tent, without letting ropes touch the tent and set it down on the other side of the tent. Um, and like we were saying earlier, everything with rope rescue or, or um, sprat is backed up. So everything has a backup. Every swing potential has a backup. Every lifting every lifting line has a backup. So there's lots of ropes, lots of stuff going on. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, like Justin was saying, you know, there, you've got to have some way to lift it. 
and then some way to haul it over. Um, and then the lifting line needs to be able to descend at the right point to land the bucket in the right spot. Yeah. And it's funny. ASAP needs to be pointed in the right direction. <laughs> that, that was our problem. Yeah. <laughs> and both ASAP's pointing in the wrong direction. Yeah. Charles, so, Charles was, and I. You know, confusing because you, you're lifting and, you know. Yeah. That's when they went into teaching mode, right? Right. They went into teaching mode. <laughs> so, Stop yeah. what you're doing. Something's yeah. wrong. Figure it oh, out. Dude. Yeah. The night before. I hated hearing that. Yeah. Yeah. The night before, me and Jamie knew that we were. We had already decided that we were going to be the ones doing the event. So the night before, we stayed up late and practiced setting it all up with our gear and and had it all set up. You know, we were, we were positive that we were good to go. And, yeah. and it didn't quite go that way the next but day. But we knew the whole system. We had the system set up in the tree. Everything was good except for – so the Petzl ASAP is if you look at, like, rope access videos or whatever, if you look at what they're doing, it's, it's a device that trails on the line behind them as they go up and down. If they were to fall, it catches them. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. A trailing of fall arrest, essentially, yes. I yeah. think is what you would call it. Yeah. So Charles and I were at the cabin that night and we laid out with our tree gear mimicking all this shit we don't have. We're like, okay, <laughs> this is our rig. This is this or whatever. We basically set up a three to one on the tree with a Petzl rig and the ASAP backing up the load, you know. So we were able to lift. And then switch over to descent, right? Does that make sense? So yeah. two climbers, two trees, and a load being hauled up from one over a tent and then down another side. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So that's what was going on. We have a Petzl ASAP on us, and then we have a Petzl ASAP on our... There's ASAPs everywhere. Yeah, on yeah. our, <laughs> our yeah. system as well. And Charles and I both set it up wrong. Yeah, okay. So once we got the bucket to a certain height, the judges stopped us and they're like, there's a huge like safety thing. I'll give you guys, it was like two or three minutes to figure it out. Right. And I think you figured it out. I couldn't see over to what you were doing. So I didn't realize mine, you know, was wrong too. So the, the ASAP on you that was connected to you Not or connected us, the to bucket. the bucket. Oh. Okay. Yeah. The load. Yeah. Eventually, eventually we got apparently it there's out. an arrow on it and that's supposed to help <laughs> <laughs> so there is an arrow on it and i looked at that arrow, an arrow and i was confused butt. which way the arrow was supposed to be pointing because right. it's it's not as simple as the one that's following you because you're going up and down a stationary line this asap's going up and down yeah backwards so i was thinking that the load needed to be stopped the other way but it would have free fall the bucket to the ground so oh. it was a huge safety issue. Yeah. So, yeah, I figured out mine, and then we kept going. And, and I'm then, not sure if mine was backwards or if I just didn't have the rope captured in the carabiner kind of thing. I think that might It's be weird. Right. If you look up an ASAP, you'll, you'll know what I'm talking about. We should have just looked it up the night I'll before. I'll never set one up wrong again. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh. But I think another thing we did wrong, and I think it was you know my fault, is we lifted it too high, so we increased it, the fall factor unnecessarily right oh no that was my fault but i think i was remember like, i was directing i was like no you can go higher yeah yeah but we went we went way too high i'm sure we they lost wasted time. points for that too wasting time and increasing the fall factor unnecessarily you know? exactly yep, yeah yeah so that event was a big drag big <laughs> yeah, we really messed that it, one up. Learned. it, it, it felt like it went smooth but then we had two massive safety issues yeah. so yeah. yeah, you know, 
we were lucky that they let us finish it. Yeah. Yeah. So we didn't get any points, really. We we felt like it went pretty good, but I don't think we got really very many points for that event yeah. at all. It was almost a DQ. We took last. <laughs> well, it would have been if it wasn't a training event. Yeah. We took yeah. last right. in the cross hall. So yeah. our pickoff <laughs> great. Our pickoff event, we took fourth, right? There's 10 teams. So, you know, it's all right. And then last in the cross hall. But then after that was a cool little last, bonus points. Last. Yeah, last. Then they gave us a chance for some bonus points. They had gear laid out that must have failed inspection or something. And they had us uh, go through and do a gear inspection. Oh, which was oh yeah, cool. yeah, yeah. That's pretty cool. Well, some of them did. Some of them failed. Others were fine, right? You had to you had to sort out. The stuff that was fine versus yep. what was bad. Yeah, and we did we did pretty good in that. I thought we right? did good in that. Yeah, you had to explain why you're you're DQing or whatever. There was like super worn yeah. out unisenders. It like, still didn't get us out of last place. Oh, <laughs> yeah, it didn't get There's us out. Of last. Kimbo that was all corroded. Yeah, that that's the cool. unisender was great though. That thing was like down. It was down to like a little finger on the uh, the top bar part. Yeah. It was like a knife. It was down to like a centimeter <laughs> thick at one point. But. Yeah, that, that's kind of a cool event for because you know you're we were talking about going up somebody else's line and you know using other people's gear in rescue, and so that's kind of an underrated part of an aerial rescue is being able to look at a piece of gear that's not yours, a foreign piece of gear, and decide is this something that I can use in this rescue? Yeah, good point. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And yeah, yeah, I guess. I, I haven't really thought about that in, in the in the moment gear inspection, which is I mean it's more likely than not going to be your own personal gear that you're using in a in a rescue, um, or something from a kit which it either never gets used or which which could happen some somebody might rob something out of the kit and use it in a way that shouldn't be used or you know there's always that possibility. Yeah, or I, I see a scenario where you're climbing to rescue someone and you want to use some gear off their harness or even look at their harness and you don't know, you know, what what just happened to create a rescue. Did, you know, did they just cut something or, you know, did a yeah. piece of gear fail and that's why they're in this situation? So, yeah, I've, I've never really thought about that, but it's a kind of an, you know, interesting thing to be thinking about. Yeah, and I think... I mean, you hear it a lot. People are like, I'm not going to take the time to do that in, in real life. You know, like get up there and get them down, which is you probably are. But you train like we always say, slow, is smooth, smooth, is fast. You train all this stuff yeah. so that it's kind of like there when when the time comes, you know? Yeah, no, totally. Or hopefully it never comes. But yeah, well, if, <laughs> if it comes, you want to be ready. Yeah. So yeah. so do they. When it sounds like they would kind of put a class on and then have an event afterwards. It yeah. was all three classes back to back. Yeah, the classes were right. And then away. the next day they started the competition. And then it was, yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. I was kind of wondering if they taught, like, if the individual classes related directly to an event. I don't think they wanted to make it quite that easy. Yeah, they weren't, <laughs> they weren't doing that, huh? <laughs> they had some of that competition was not covered at all in the class. Yeah, yeah. New, totally new. Oh yeah. So they just had like a couple hours of class and then boom. Yeah. They had some heavy situations. Yeah, the team rescue the system they wanted you to use wasn't wasn't covered. But 
But I don't know. We heard whispers, or it was because Dave Stice had put out that video of like learn a skate block system that we, you and I, were looking up a skate block the night before. And so I guess we can move on to the team rescue. Um, okay. The team rescue scenario. So it was sequestered, right? It was kind of off on its own. So you were you were just on scene. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you just walk up and it's it's go time. Walk you know, you don't get to see it at is. all. But we we figured we'd probably be using a skate block, so we built one with the arborist gear that we have. You know, I think there was like a rigging plate with some pinto pulleys and all sorts of stuff. A skate block is basically it's kind of like a controlled speed line. I know exactly. when when we would set up a controlled speed line in a tree, you know, you'd have your your block at the top of the tree with a separate line, maybe deadened above that, and the load is sliding down that line, right? Controlled by the pulley and a friction They're device. Two or separate whatever. lines. Usually, that's how I set it up anyway. But this was one line, a pulley in the tree, basically like a moving rope system attached to the load that slides down. So. Your, your anchor was off somewhere where you could tighten it with a three to one or whatever, you know, yeah. and the rig was our friction device. Okay. So we had that kind of built with our gear, right? And what was the scenario? Uh, so, a hunter or something? Caught in the crotch. Yeah. Oh. A hunter who had, uh, was, you know, in a tree stand or something and, and slipped or somehow got stuck in a tight union of a, it was a, a big leaf maple tree, actually. So the the patient or victim, whatever, is up about, what, 20 feet or, yeah, not like crazy high, no. 20, 25 feet max. And uh, they were stuck pretty well. The dummy was stuck. So you had to physically get them out of there with this skate block system. But we were also kind of looking at it as a, Hey, we need some kind of mechanical advantage system to like lift this person up. Um, yeah, we totally added something that didn't need to be there, right? Like I think exactly. yeah. the skate block yeah, system time. Yeah. would have been able to yeah. pull them up and out of the crotch on its own. Yes. But, but what I had thought was, remember we did the tree stuff aerial rescue rally and we lifted one of those victims up with the base tie with the manic mechanical advantage oh yeah yeah you know routed through their chest harness and to their 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 uh their rope bridge yeah so i thought we would need to lift them out and then put them on the skate block and get them out of the tree oh so we took a lot of time um setting up a whole system that i don't think needed to be set up at all you know yeah totally and we were the dummy was cruising out of the tree when we timed out, I think. Yeah. Um, well, and the other, the big hiccup was the fact that we were trying to build this system using all of our own gear when really they had a whole tarp full of gear that we were able to use and incorporate it any way they want or we wanted. But what they really wanted to see was you to use their like over-engineered, um, bomb proof gear to build this system and we were basically just approaching it from the wrong angle as far as what their criteria was i mean i there's an argument to be made that we were approaching it from a pragmatic uh 
this is how we would perform this rescue and we're going to get it done and it would be safe. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of way. Right. But it, it wouldn't have conformed to IRADA. It wouldn't have conformed to any of those standards because, well, I mean, it probably would have, honestly, we were all the gear that we were using was, was probably well within their guidelines for how strong something needs to be. But their argument was, if you have something uh, better available, something stronger, you might as well use the stronger piece of gear. Yeah, exactly. It was like at every turn we would be setting something up and they'd be like, no, 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 wait. Yeah. Like I would go to do yeah. a base tie with a length of rope that I had in my bag. And they're like, no, no, you no. You really no. want to do that yeah, now. Exactly. Sling. Yeah, they're yeah. like, is there something better to be used there? I'm like, Is there something? It, well, there's yeah. this whole pile of anchors over here that we could use. Yeah. Yeah. Half inch or three quarter inch 10x they yeah. had, I think, or five eighths 10x. I think that which was which obviously is so I, like so overblown for what you needed. I think the reason that they said that we could use our own gear was because there was some Sprat guys coming and those guys wanted to use the yeah. stuff that they train with. Um, I so yeah. for me, like if it was all Arborist, I think it would have been super clear if they had just said, just use our stuff, you know, create a system out of our stuff because that's what they wanted. Yeah. They stopped us at a turn to use their stuff. And I think the only reason that they said it was okay to use our stuff was because they wanted their the Sprout guys to be able to use the stuff yeah. that they invested in. Yeah. I think that's a good observation. Part yeah. of their could be part of their training tactic too, to make you stop and think maybe there is something beefier sure. or better that could yeah. be used, you know. Even though I've thought about that, but I don't I, I don't personally think like that was really much of a benefit to me as far as the learning aspect goes. I think I would have rather learned how to incorporate things and like execute it well. That would have that would have been more impactful for me personally. Um, but instead, it was like we don't really know what we need to do, um, and we just keep getting turned down every time we try to set something up, and we're we're not understanding why we're getting turned down. Yeah, it yeah. was getting frustrating, man. Yeah, yeah I think it would have been different <laughs> sure. if, if, For sure. if the pulleys that we were using weren't rated or or underrated. But but they didn't say they were underrated. They, I think they would agree with us that they were they were rated for what we were using them for. But th theirs were rated higher. Yeah. You know? Yeah. 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 I so I can see why, you know, because it it sounds like one of the benefits of this was learning the concepts that they with what they work with. So I can understand them saying like, Hey, I want you to use our gear in order to help you learn these different concepts, you know, other than if you just use tree gear, but it doesn't seem fair in, if they don't say that to then penalize you, if you just use your gear. Yeah. You know, but I think in their defense that it was more of a training you know, it's yeah. training sharpened through competition, I think is the way to put it. Yeah. Which is an awesome yeah. way to do it. Yeah. But it does suck to like really mess up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That being said, uh, if, if a big aspect of it is training, you learn more from when you m make mistakes than when, you know, if you just do really good doing what you've always done and what you always know, you're probably not going to learn as much from that than if you, you know, if they actually stop you and dock you and take the, like you were saying, you're never going to uh, set one of those ASAPs off, set it up wrong again. 
you know, so there, yeah. there's something to that. Yeah. If we could do each one over again, we'd be so much better, you know? It's yeah. like, yeah, for sure. <laughs> that they would give be- us 10 minutes and then, okay, now do it again. Boom. We get it. That would be a really cool concept for a, in, I love the whole, you know, it's a competition, but it's also a training, you know, cause that I learned yeah. best that way, you know? So, but it would be really cool to take it to the next level, have you run through it and have them correct you along the way and then do it again and then do it again. Once you've been corrected, yeah. that way you can really cement in these skills you've learned. Yeah. It'd be totally good. Yeah. But then you could do those. You have to be there a week. Yeah. You could do like, uh, I guess, heats, you know, or you each get two trials mm-hmm. on, on any one event. Oh, that'd be awesome. Be like, that'd be great for tree climbing comps in general. Like if you totally whiff the throw ball, right, Dan, then you, uh, you just get to try it again. Increase your yeah. average. Yeah, wouldn't that be something? You could do two tries. And every- <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or, or maybe uh-huh. um, give you a mulligan. So on one event you get a mulligan. Oh, so if you just botch yeah, the go. throw ball, then you you have to decide: Do I want to use my mulligan here? Well, what Ooh. if I miss a lock on the footlock? I might want the mulligan on the footlock. You know, so yeah. that, that'd be interesting. <laughs> yeah, it would introduce a whole different dynamic. Yeah, little strategy. <laughs> well, what if you do all right in all of them, but just all right, and then you take your again yeah yeah you mess one up really bad <laughs> yeah. you have to stay with the second yeah yeah or maybe make your mulligan worth like five points or something so if you go through everything and crush it all and you don't use your mulligan you get to just there apply those extra points ah, yeah Hold there you them. go keep this idea for our competition yeah yeah, yeah. Me, me and jamie oh yeah what are you gonna do what what are you planning i want to do something here you guys with got just, something in mind. yeah with just some you know, hit up all you guys, obviously, and try to have something here. Because, man, we just got back from Naomi, and I miss this stuff so much. Like, it put yeah, it put Naomi the fire awesome. under me again, man. Like, climbing today was so much fun. Um, but I want to do something here with a bunch of local people and have, like, two work climbs set up, maybe, like, a master's tree and then, you know, just a regular work climb. And then I thought, like, a throw ball like throwball games would be fun. Like do, you know, horse yeah. with basketball, you know what I'm saying? Where you like call a shot and you hit it. If the other person doesn't <laughs> hit it, they get a letter, but you do that with throwball could be fun. That would be fun. I don't know. Just make something up. Kind of. I used to play that with a friend of mine all the time. We'd go and play horse with throwball. Yeah. yeah throw hey. ball horse. Oh, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, and then sometimes it get too easy, maybe, and so we'd have we do it up a little, like okay, I'm going to hit the lower one, then I'm going to flip it up to yeah. this one, and no. then into that yeah. one. They got to do the same sequence. <laughs> yeah. yeah, nice. So you have to, would you have to call it beforehand, or would you do? You have it? to call it all. Yeah, beforehand. perfect. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. You know what I think we should do with throw line? If you could. You have to set a route for the rope, a specific route. Like you have several different crotches that you have to run that line oh, through, and you can only yeah. the throw line from the ground, right? Yeah. So you have multiple throw lines. You have to manipulate, get it, you know, get it swinging so it bounces through another crotch. You know, you could like that would take a lot of manipulation. I did that once. You got to have right fun. I did that in a masters once, right? Manipulated. And then manipulated the other way, and then anchored it, and then just went up this side and 
just followed the line. That one went to that yeah. bell. Then it went over to this bell. Then it went over to this one. He just kind of followed the line oh. right through the tree. Wow. Yeah. But you got to have just the right tree. You got to be able to manipulate that ball around. You know, it's got to be pretty open. Is that yeah. when people yeah. say pre-direct? That's what they're talking about is like. Pre-direct. Yeah, probably. Pre-direct. I kept hearing that at NAO. Pre-direct. Like, I what think if that'd be very cool that? to put into a competition. Yeah. 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 Throw ball. I mean, holes. you could do it in the Masters, it sounds like, but I have never been there yet. So. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, that's what's good about this jambo we just went to. Yeah. Two masters. Two Everyone masters. does two masters as part of the, just the normal yeah. freelance. That's awesome. That's awesome. I yeah, hope, I, I hope they bring it back. I wasn't there. Two different trees, and they even named the trees. Yeah. Now we're getting off topic. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll do we'll do one that's on that one. <laughs> uh, next time, or you know, in nice. the future. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Because, man, North American Open Masters, look it up. That was such a cool event. <clears throat> yeah, I'm looking forward to hearing you guys talk about yeah, it. Yeah, because Justin missed out. But you were doing some cool shit. Yeah. Hiking. Yeah. yeah, hiking. It was, it was worth it. <laughs> hiking, lots of hiking, yeah. Yeah. So are you, are you getting the scenario? I know we're kind of talking about it, but we were there, so we can all paint the picture in our head. But yeah. are we making sense? To- so so far, yeah, we've we've gone through two scenarios, right? We've gone through the three. three. Okay, so the one where you go up the line. The pickoff. Yeah. The pickoff, and then the one where the bucket goes up over the tent and then back down. What's the third yeah. one? Which one Ow. am I missing? The hunter Team stuck in the crotch. Oh, yep, 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 yep. Hunter yeah. stuck in the crotch. Cross hole. Yep. Yeah. They had like a certain square on the ground that you had to land them in. It wasn't just getting them up and down. Okay. You had to bring them over. Had and to land direct them, them to a landing spot. Yep. Yeah. And it was like 30. We should also mention the... Uh, the fact that they wanted us to set up a guy line for the tree. Yeah. Yeah. Cause they're like, Oh, you're, you're side loading the stem so much, you know, you have to set up a guy line. And that was kind of a, I was surprised by that. And I mean, I know, think all of us probably wouldn't have hesitated to run that kind of load that low in the tree, that tree. But here's I my thought have a guy line. <laughs> the way we set up a controlled speed line, the vectors are much more in favor of that tree than setting up the skate block the way we did. You know what I mean? So it kind of makes more sense to guy it setting up a skate block like that, where look at your pulley at the tree on the stem and all that force oh, is yeah. going over to the anchor versus when you're opening <clears throat> that up and going down to your porter wrap down the tree or something, it's a little more favorable. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I because you're it. loading along the stem there as well. Versus that's actually on it. seeing most of the load. Yeah, rather than just well, like also, you like would with a speed line. A speed line is that is that kind of like a, a straight up speed line without a control. I think it was also that's it was set that low super. because you know if you put on an event, you don't want anything to happen. <laughs> yeah. I think it was more about getting us to think about the fact that that maybe it should be guide back. You know, I think yeah, yeah. we would probably all agree that. There was no way that tree was gonna no. have a problem. But sure. if it was higher on right. the tree and you were yeah, I think their point was you don't know. Yeah, you know you're gonna yeah. might be in a different situation. You you should just boom, just do it. Or you know how, you're covered. I'm gonna step no out for what. a second, especially if it's like a tower or something. You know that we're not yeah. familiar with. Tower, they would know it, any but. of those things. Boom, just put another guideline in. Or it's not that know. hard. Yeah, you never know when there's a cavity that you can't really tell from the ground. There's a weakness yeah. in the stem that, that you know you. You uh, you don't want to mess with. And plus, if they were teaching teaching about the vector forces, 
they might have been just trying to find a way to factor that into the competition somehow, you know? Yeah. 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 And it makes sense. Maybe in some heavy rigging, maybe some, you know, times at work, we should be doing that. Yeah. Oh, big yeah. No, oh, yeah. I definitely guide back a, a first bar. Yeah. More. Yeah. 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 I mean, we've probably all guide back dead trees that have a lean or just, yeah. Uprooting trees. Trees that have an extreme lean <laughs> yeah. before you go to remove them, you guide them. Yeah. Because you're like, I can't climb. I can't climb any higher. <laughs> I'm actually concerned about a failure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, that, that definitely takes place in rigging situations. You know, with zip lines, it's something I think about. If you're zip line in a big top and someone's really tightening, if you're using machinery to tighten a zip line, you know, yeah. it's real easy for somebody who's running a skid steer to it's not realize how much they're pulling on that, you know. Yeah. And so if you, yeah. it, it's as simple as if you r- take your zip line and run it through a pulley and then go back at a 45 degree angle behind you, then you're forcing that energy straight down into the trunk. Straight down. You know, yeah. so it, it's little things like that that can make a huge difference on a rigging situation. Yeah. 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 Or the other, we were, uh, we were removing some Ilanthus the last couple of days and, and, you know, he, you know how Ilanthus is. We, uh, <laughs> and so we were lowering these big chunks of wood down and it was, you know, tied to this block that was pretty high up. You start thinking about it as the ch- chunks get bigger and bigger. And then we were using the winch off the chipper to pull the stuff over. And that was a perfect example of all of a sudden you're like, oh, I don't know if we really should be doing it. You know, it might be worth just setting it down on the ground and then winching it over. <laughs> so were there, how many events were uh, at ARC? There were three. Okay. And I don't know if you guys touched on it, but it was good to put the guy line in because it makes you think about that a little more. Like I just looked at this sketchy fur that, if I get the job, I'm definitely guying this tree to, to be able to rig it out, you know? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. What's that? Are, is your guy line going to have an ASAP? I'll be climbing with an ASAP, okay. yeah. Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> Set up. You're going you're gonna to bring a crane in so you can be tied in above your head yeah. with the crane ASAP on your dorsal. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so three. Hey, minutes. I don't want to be, I don't want to be rude, but do you guys hear a bunch of children in the background? Cause yeah, it's all good. Okay. No Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. No. My son has a friend or two over right now. So nice. Nice. They're being, being 11 year old boys right now. Yeah. It's all good. <laughs> yeah. But there were three uh, preliminary events and then the masters event, which was awesome. They had a, they had a hammock strung up between two trees that were, Man, how far away? Apart, yeah, hundred feet apart. That might be a small exaggeration. Yeah, wow. Seventy feet apart. Yeah, those trees were guide, and the the victim was a woman who her boyfriend rigged all this up and then just like peaced out. He just left, <laughs> and she was drunk and didn't know how to get down. So the masters just walk up blind to that event, and it's like go time, you know? Okay. And I only caught one. Dan, you judged them all, right? Yeah. Yeah. I watched Noel's team, uh, Noel, Mario, Robert Bundy, and Joe Wurzel, you know, badass climbers. I watched them do it. They timed out. I think they were trying to do a couple different things. Um, 
and it just ended up not working out for him. What, what, what was the method that you saw that worked to get them off, to get the victim out In of the time? Hammock? Yeah. Um, they went up and just like, just kind of like what Noel guys were going to do at the end, you know, they hooked her up to uh, a line from both trees and, and brought her down that way and, and had a climber go from both up there to assess her and assess her gear and stuff like that and, and bring her down. It was, um, yeah, lots of stuff to think about on, on that one. Noelle's team, they did extra stuff, you know, kind of like we did. They switched over her lines and stuff. That took a while. And Yeah, I think so. Two separate trees, two climbers go up, right? And I think Robert was trying to, to break into the system that the hammock was on to maybe try to lower the whole thing out. Okay. Yeah. But one of the things to think about is you don't know that gear that was set up, you know, you yeah. don't know the condition of it or anything. So it's probably best not to use it at all. Especially if she's, if, you know, if she's not hurt, she's not bleeding. She's got all the time in the world. If you have the time to, to replace it. it, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. They were able to dialogue with her and yeah. Yeah. So did they have somebody in the hammock? So the actor, uh, Tyler, I don't remember his last name, but he was above the dummy, kind of vocalizing oh, okay. and, and playing the part. It kind, was really funny. Kind of like Becca. In yeah. The yeah. <laughs> yeah. I remember Noel. Noel's interaction with, with her was Have more beer? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Noel got over to her and he's like, oh, it smells like marijuana over here. <laughs> <laughs> I think at one point he asked her if she had a YouTube channel. I don't know why, it was cracking me up. So two climbers up in the different trees, and I think the way they got to him was uh, one climber threw the tail over or a whole other rope system, and then that climber was able to tie into that and you know rope walk their way out to him. But that's all I saw. We we left after the first one. That's kind of where, where they got and then timed out. <clears throat> so did they just lift, like, the cross hall, Dan, and, like, set them down? They made their own cross hall yeah. stuff, you know? Yeah. And they hooked it to the, the victim and then lifted it up. And I'm not sure if they released below or not or if they were able to lift them up to get her out of the hammock and then ease ease over you know release one take one up and, and move her over yeah yeah it was it was interesting it was, it was fun it would have been fun to try to do it it's it's just the heat of them it's you need, you need training it you know it's it'd be nice to be able to Everyone was had some confusion. The people who won had done Tripalusa, and it was quite similar okay. thing. And so they were kind of used to that sort of stuff. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so it'd be it'd be fun to train in it, so that when you you're on the team, you're like a SWAT team. You know, you know what you're doing. Mm -hmm. You figure things out. I think that's what happened with Noel's team was there was just like three different ideas going at the same time or they're switching around. They were, you know, they weren't focused. 
Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it would have been cool to try to do that one. <clears throat> which, which brings up a good point with aerial rescue. Uh, part of the reason why you want to train with your crew is because you want to be on the same page. If something happens, yeah. you know, you got to be on that same page and be able to work as a team and kind of figure out uh, who's doing what part of the rescue in advance. That way, when it comes down to it, you're just you're just doing it. Yeah. Well, yeah. And like and like Dan was saying, they had like three different ideas going on. We yeah. always appoint who's going to be in charge if something happens. Totally. You know, and who's second in charge in case the person in charge is part of it. Yeah. You know, because I think at the end of the day, when it's a stressful situation, somebody needs to take responsibility. Most of the time, it's pretty obvious who the natural leader is on site. But, you know, if there starts to get an argument, there should definitely be somebody to find in charge that says, nope, we're doing it this way. Yeah. Because that's yeah. a lot of wasted time. On on one of the uh, rescue rally videos that we did, someone had a comment saying, like, hey, I was in a real-life aerial rescue situation, and that's what happened is everybody was cussing at each other and trying to make their idea the way it's done. And it, you wow. know, it just slowed it all down, which makes sense because, you know, everyone's freaking out. This is your friend that's in the tree, so everybody's trying to help. But uh, one of the things we do on every uh, job, uh, pre-job briefing that we do is we assign roles for an aerial rescue. Like, you're, you're going to be in charge of the rescue. You're going to be calling 911. You know, you're going to be uh, the kind of the extra person that's, you know, just helping with the rescue and or uh, doing crowd control or, you know, depends on how many people you have in the situation. But I think there's a lot of wisdom into kind of pre-planning to whatever level you can, you know. Yeah. <clears throat> well, a lot of times with their rescues, they have enough people or whatnot, but the leader who's in charge isn't doing anything. He's oh. telling everyone what to do. He's like the, you know, the master planner. You're doing this, you're doing that. Because if you're starting to do something, then you're focused on what you're doing and you're not watching yeah. the big picture. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense having someone sit back. And it's kind of like when, uh, when I'm training someone that's new, a lot of times I won't be hauling brush or anything. I'll just be kind of sitting back and watching the job. Or even if it's not a training situation, if it's like a super complex job, I'll try to stop for a second and just stand back and just watch where everybody's doing and what they're doing. Because getting that kind of removing yourself and stepping back and getting that perspective, you know, gaining perspective on the situation can go a long way towards helping everything run smooth. You know, yeah. so long as you're not standing back and just sitting there the whole time. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so if you have the personnel, that might be a good thing to point out in a job, you know. Yeah. You're kind of overseeing. You're the rescue supervisor. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. Right. Nice. It's, it sounds like an awesome event. It was cool. I sure missed you. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Yeah. I know. Yeah. I Dang it! I I a ringleader wasn't there. <laughs> I I felt horrible about it. The uh, I had a little time off situation. I thought I had more time off than I did, and it caused me to miss Ark and then no Naom, two just awesome like the first competitions back after all this, and I was so fired up, and it just didn't work out. So, but let me tell you, seeing the videos and seeing everybody getting into it has got me so fired up. Uh, for I guarantee I will have the time off next time, yeah. and it'll be budgeted and happening. I <laughs> got fired up, especially those uh those videos of the neon Naom. 
Yeah, the uh, night ascent. Ascent was just like next level. Oh you my know? god, <laughs> so much fun. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, yeah. I'll definitely go back next year for Arc. Nice. That was a fun event. Yeah. So yeah, it, it'd be fun to watch how it might evolve too. I'm sure it's going to evolve. Yeah. Yeah, I think it even evolved from so the previous year, which may have been yeah. 2019 or something. You know, we kind of missed a year there with the whole coronavirus thing. Um, it evolved from that because I think that was just individual events. There wasn't a team, but in the oh. Masters things, they put people in teams. And yeah. Did it. So, yeah. And they yeah. were also using uh, a live victim. You know, it wasn't a dummy in all those. Oh, wow. Interesting. Like they had a spar pole rescue. <clears throat> at the first one where the dummy had like a bag of blood or something and was like were you there dan yeah yeah so I did not and, like that event yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but am i right it was a spar too real spar too, real. too good an actor yeah yeah and i heard i think it was dan holiday talking about it saying you know if you're climbing the wrong side of the tree and getting blood all over you you know that's that's you know, a little dock in points because that's something, you know, you're supposed to think about in a rescue thing, you know, not getting bodily fluids on you, putting on gloves and stuff, stuff you're probably not going to think about in the heat of the moment, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I definitely have not thought about that for aerial rescue. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the blood going everywhere. Oh yeah. yeah. That's potential. Yeah. Ooh. Yep. Yep. What else did they do at that one, Dan, if you remember? <clears throat> oh, that Sparport one. Well, they on uh, that one, it was even more complicated. They had a piece of wood rigged up with a GRCS hanging in the air. Oh, man. So oh, the wow. first, first thing you had to do was deal with that piece of wood hanging in the air. <laughs> oh, you got to wow. get that on the ground and then go up there. And, um, and then you got spikes on. Yeah. So you have to deal with that. You have to get above that person. He's got spikes on. It, it was uh, it's challenging. Did people? I ran out of time. Did people take the spikes off? That's something we've trained spar rescues. Some and people we, did. We've Some had people that. thought of that. Once they got that victim up and on a rope where it was safe, they took the spikes off. I think one person brought spike covers on and put oh. spike covers on the spikes. I mean, how smart is that? Yeah. That's, yeah, that's <laughs> But I know we've trained spar rescues and we've had that conversation about whether or not to take the spurs off once, you know, you're there and everything. Yeah. yeah. You know, when I've trained it, I've taken them off in the past, but that's, I was training with live victims. So, you know, and obviously someone's not hurt, so it makes sense to take them off. Yeah. I don't know if I would in the moment. Yeah. You know? Yeah, situational too. Yeah, totally. It, you know, and it it goes back to the whole how would it change if you were really in this situation compared to when you're training. And you obviously you want to train like you're really in this situation, but you don't want to add that risk. And I think it also depends on how badly the person's injured. You know, is this yeah. a you have to get them down right now because they've been bleeding out and who knows how long they've been there and this is, you know, like if they get, obviously you wouldn't want to gaff them, but is it worth risking that? Yeah. yeah. Cause if they're, if it's a matter of, you know, seconds, 
you know, it takes a little bit of time to undo that Velcro and undo that buckle. And I don't know. Yeah. <clears throat> it's an interesting thought. I don't know what the right answer is. Yeah. Yeah. Deal with the bleeding. It seems like. Yeah. Yeah. Or, yeah. I guess you so. Not even bring them to the ground, you know? Yeah. And have your pressure pads and your tourniquet and all that stuff. And, you know, deal with him up there. Yeah. I think that's probably, yeah, that's interesting. Cause, and I guess that what's the situation? Do you have EMTs on scene? You know, we've done uh, the stop the bleed training. So if you have stop the bleed and you can pack the bandage, if you got a tourniquet, then yeah, it's probably take care of it in the tree. Yeah. That's an awesome training. Yeah. But, uh, I think we can kind of wrap up our Naom thing or arc, sorry, aerial rescue challenge thing, unless anyone has anything else they want to add to it. One of the nope. other takeaways, we mentioned how much new gear there was. Yeah. When I came away from it, it really helped me with helping new climbers again. It was like a good step back. It's been a while since I've had to deal with new gear. Oh, yeah. In a tree and that kind of stuff. And it really made me have a lot more patience and, you know, helping new guys, like, thinking to that and how I had no clue which direction that ASAP went. You know, maybe the gear that we see every day it helped me be more patient and maybe take that extra second to explain yeah yeah it can be overwhelming right all this stuff yeah and i think we even talked about that we had the asap set up wrong and we're 40 feet up a tree and the dude on the ground could see that this tiny little thing yeah versus like we're right next to it and couldn't see it but if someone put a rope wrench on backwards i I could see that from the ground you know totally yeah yeah Mm -hmm. that's interesting yeah any other takeaways any any final thoughts Um, a lady had me come look at her trees the other day. Yeah. She was scared of them. Yeah. They were shady. <laughs> oh, man. <Nice>. Snuck <laughs> that one in there. Thanks, Dad. I, I like it. <laughs> yeah. The tree joke of the week. <laughs> awesome. Nice. Nice. You guys want to do some stories from the field, or should we just kind of like wrap it yeah up. if anybody's got a good story they want to share i'm all i don't really have any good stories from the field that i that are uh, coming to mind but i know justin does that's kind of why i'm asking like what you were up to um recently if you want to talk about it oh, yeah. yeah i'd be happy to um yeah so i a couple months back i had the opportunity to go uh be a part of a sequoia giant sequoia cone collection project in uh well just outside of sequoia national park that was on a blm property and we had it was really cool because it was the top of a mountain called case mountain um there was a bunch of locked gates get up there so we get we had to get access from blm for all this stuff and we were up there for like four or five days the project actually went longer but i was there for four or five days um and that was just kind of like getting my dipping my toes into the water on that kind of work. And I was just lucky enough to have met somebody um, and just been able to take the time to go do it when I did get the call. Um, and so then through that, again, I got another opportunity to go down there. And so that was this last weekend. And this project was a bit different. He's the guy I'm working for named Steen. 
uh, John Steen Company is his is his company, and they grow trees and then sell trees across the country. Um, a lot of the work they do is actually like little trees that they have in containers that they sell at like the national parks. They sell giant sequoia and giant redwood in some of these national parks gift shops. Mm -hmm. And then they also have like tree growing kits that they sell through like Walmart and TJ Maxx and like retail (laughs) locations. Right. So that's a lot of what he does. So he has a need for cone. Um, but now he's also working with, um, with the national parks and, um, this particular project was to collect the cone from an area that burned during the castle fire, um, which I believe was last year. Uh, there was a grove called board camp grove. And then another grove up the mountain from there called Homer's nose. Homer's nose is like a, a peak, pretty cool granite peak that overlooks this whole area. So the groves burned real bad. (laughs) Um, and, they want to grow these seeds into saplings and then replant. That's the whole project. So I just got to come in for this first part of it, um, which was great. I, I got to climb three trees in Board Camp Grove, and then we attempted to do another one. I attempted to climb another one on my last day there in Garfield Grove, uh, which was across the valley. And that one had not been burned, but... Uh, Due to some throw line mistakes uh, at the very end of the day, <laughs> I, I basically lost my tie-in oh, after no. after like a perfect crossbow shot and everything. So it was really frustrating. Oh, man. Uh, yeah, so throw line will get you no matter if it's a little tree or a big tree, right? <laughs> yeah. It's, oh, yeah. it's out to get you. <laughs> yeah. um, throw line's a fickle mistress. Yeah. It hurts yes, all the it same. Is. <clears throat> one of the one of the most challenging parts of this last trip to board camp is that board camp is actually in it's a hike to hike in like a real good hike in like six and a half miles <laughs> so we were like just brutalized by the time we were done working in that grove because we hike in and hike out and we were kind of wishing or thinking if we have to do this kind of thing again where it's that kind of access we're just going to go in and camp, you know, bring in your gear, pack super light, and then you just camp on site and hopefully you can find a water source or something. Um, but yeah, it had me thinking about trying to streamline my gear selection and just keep, keep pack weight down to a minimum because everybody was real tired by the end of it. And, and I had just, I had too much gear. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't expecting that kind of hike in. So that was, that was a fun one, but it all worked out great. We got the cone that we needed and um, I, it's going to be an interesting kind of experiment to really see like how, how well this does. And, and if it's a, if it's a good method to, to kind of like flight fight climate change and, I mean, just try to help this particular species gr- continue on into perpetuity because they're amazing. They're, it, it's, unlike, it's unlike anything else when you climb an old tree like that. And I know you guys have had some experience doing that. Um, but me personally, I've only been able to do it in this last year. And I'm 
super thankful for that opportunity because it's been kind of, it's been kind of life changing. I just like, I just want to, that's the kind of work I want to do all the time if I can. Right. So it's like, I got a little taste of it and now I'm just, it's all I ever want to do. Um, which could be, could be a dangerous pattern, (laughs) but I'm going to just keep rolling with it. Awesome. So, yeah. And you guys, I, you know, Tim Kovar was down there too. He was working on in a different Grove. Oh, cool. Um, Nice. Yeah. We didn't really, we didn't really hang with him too much. Uh, he had, he had a couple, uh, people with him on his team and they were, they were doing a little bit of collecting in a different spot. So, um, yeah, it was good stuff. And then we also worked with, uh, with, uh, a group called the Marmot Society. So Steen and then Dr. Anthony Ambrose and, uh, Wendy Baxter, I believe she's doctor too, but they're, they're, uh, they made this, this organization whose kind of goal is to protect the sequoias and, and kind of spread awareness about it too. Um, and they're Anthony and Wendy are scientists. So they're, they're actually studying the trees and taking samples. One of the things they're studying is the flow of sap water movement throughout these trees. Um, so they'll set up monitoring sites at different heights throughout the tree and they can actually measure the rate of flow, um, in the giant sequoias and then take that data at different times of the year, take it at at different weather events and hopefully better understand what's happening. Um, did they, with these trees, did they have a seminar at ATC and Eugene, the training conference? No. See, I, I asked about that, but that was somebody else. else. And I, I don't remember their names anymore. Um, but I asked that question this weekend when I was with Steen. Yeah. Um, he, and cause he was there, that's where I met Steen. Um, but Wendy and, uh, and Ambrose are, they, they're doing similar work. Um, but they were not at that conference. Okay. No. Okay. Yeah. But, uh, they're, they're great. I mean, they just live for, for being in those trees. Yeah. They stay out later than everybody else. They'll hike in and they'll hike out in the dark if it means they get to hang out longer and like they're both photographers, you know, take photos of the trees. So, um, it was a very positive experience for me. I'm, I'm really grateful to have met, met a lot of new people and hopefully, you know, made some, made some lasting friendships and get some more opportunities to go down there. So sweet. Sweet. So you're just loading a duffel bag with cones. Yeah, in this particular scenario, we couldn't really carry too much out um, because the hike was so bad. We were basically just going for about a bushel, which is about sixty pounds, a bushel out of each tree. So we pulled we pulled about two bushels out of out of board camp. So between the, like five of us, we had to hike all that out with our gear too. So any more than that, it would have been a nightmare. Yeah, that's um, why I brought it up because I was like, "You're hiking in there yeah. with all your gear and then packing cones out too." Yeah. And that's awesome. Uh, like for reference, when we were, when we were, um, when we were at Case Mountain, we did like 10 bushels, um, in a couple of days, but that was not a crazy hike in. Yeah. So since it's a crazy yeah. hike in, are you just being more selective about what you're picking? Well, 
that's part of it, but more so it was just, there was a goal of overall amount of seedlings per that area. So as long as we had enough seed to cover that, we were fine. So we only needed to pick that much. Um, But for, for reference in that grove in where the fire was hottest, there are whole giants that are just completely missing. Like they completely burned up. We're talking trees that are like 20 foot in diameter that a few of those burned up completely. Wow. There's others that are still standing, you know, 60, 70, a hundred feet tall, but it's just a trunk. Everything else is burnt off of it. Wow. There's whole s- craters of stumps that burned out. Um, it, they, they really have not had it. There's not a huge history of high intensity or high severity fire in the giant sequoias because they're so resistant to fire. That bark is essentially fire resist or fire you know, <laughs> retardant. It's amazing. Yeah. Um, those are trees that are 1500, 2000 year old trees. So obviously yeah, there hasn't been yeah. a fire like that in the last 2000 years. If the, the tree, you know, is a 2000 year old. Yeah. Tree. It's if those populations are there. Yeah. Cause yeah. they're correct me if I'm wrong, but they're like a fire dependent species, right. For propagation and everything. Yeah. 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 Low to intensity extent, fire yeah. dependent. Yeah. You know, the, um, that heat event when you have the heat that comes through with the fire you know something that's just burning the underbrush all the cone will open up and then it'll just disperse its seed a mass dispersal event Mm -hmm. um and i mean they've got a lot of seeds so they that many chances like you're gonna get a lot of natural regeneration that way um but i think with the heat of of the castle fire there's no way that any of that seed survived only on the perimeter, which we, we do see uh, new trees coming up already, but it's only on the perimeters and everything burns so hot that that seed must've just, you know, there's no way any of that seed survived Um, leaving a big hole that unless it's replanted, you know, you're not going to have giant sequoias in there. Yeah. Wild. Not, not in our lifetimes, you know? Yeah. So uh, the way I see it is that you're essentially, we're saving these trees for whoever is in the future, you know, if, if, if the trees still survive, you know, a thousand, 2000 years from now, um, it's just trying to like preserve one of our greatest natural resources, something that just like strikes awe into your heart. Every time you, every time you see those things, it's, and we're, we're losing that kind of thing on this planet. So it's yeah it's important have it's you, important work at least important to me have you seen the photos of them with their root flares like wrapped in space blankets like tinfoil going yeah. around it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah they did that with like general sherman mm-hmm. um i think the the giant forest grove because i think one of the fires was coming into there i can't remember if it's a K, the windy fire or the kmp complex complex but there were two major ones uh this summer that were I mean, we, we, I think we had like 10% were subjected to severe fire last year. And then it's probably that again, that happened this year. So it's really, it's really astounding. Like it's, it's freaking everybody out. (laughs) It's happening faster than we can keep up with. And we don't, we don't have the seed banked. People haven't been really keeping on top of that as much as they could have been. So and when you're talking 10% of, 
we've already lost 90 some percent of those trees you know so 10 percent of what's left is a significant number yeah you mean like since since the majority of uh of old growth settling of the west yeah you know yeah 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 you're probably right you're probably right i know there have been a lot of logging events in the giant sequoias but they it was nothing like what happened to the coast redwoods because yeah yeah, okay giant sequoia was not really very marketable and the way that that wood actually fractures uh, it fractures in like a cubicle pattern and so just the tree hitting the ground would cause all these little micro fractures, making a lot of the wood basically worthless oh, um, unless you can ha- land them uphill really soft or something. So it just, yeah, it wasn't worth the work because it was garbage lumber for um, a lot of work. Imagine having to cut one of those things down. Yeah. 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 <laughs> with what they had. Too. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah, exactly. I have a picture of uh, a giant sequoia in one of the case mountain groves that has a, a, a face cut cut by an ax. Whoa. And the, yeah. So I don't know. I'm guessing like maybe at the latest it happened in the twenties. Um, but the tree has actually compartmentalized and grown over uh, uh, at least a third of that face cut. So it's got new bark, new tissue that's just completely grown over the face cut. You said you have a picture Um, of it? I do, yeah. Yeah, I could send it to you guys. You could like post it on the thing. Do it. Uh, It's pretty cool. It's it's really cool. I I first saw it and I was like, oh man, it must have been like a wildland firefighter wanted to wanted to you know just like get a giant sequoia under his belt yeah. oh this one's dangerous i gotta follow it and then you know the supervisor comes over and he's like what are you doing <laughs> stop what you're doing right now but then i look closer and sure enough it's it's a double bit axe that cut that thing and wow. probably a, you know like a misery whip saw on the bottom of it <sighs> yeah i know can you believe it and that wasn't even a huge cut. one but probably like 10 foot diameter yeah that that's what i always a small one right yeah, yeah. A small one. that's what i always think about when you know you're doing a big removal and the client comes out and is like oh my god you guys work hard huh and my thoughts <laughs> always like i don't work hard the people that were cutting down old growth trees you know back in the day those guys were working hard you know the guys yeah. on the misery whip those guys were working you know Indeed, yeah. Years ago, years ago. Yeah. 40 years ago. <laughs> yeah. We have it so easy now. So easy. Yeah. yeah. Do you have any more trips planned or in the works? Probably next May. Awesome. Um, yeah. with, this was really like the very, very end of any kind of window to collect anything. And um, because of that fire and then because of some substantial like hot weather events this year, a lot of the cone had already opened up and and dried out. So there wasn't much to collect. We were kind of collecting stuff that was younger. It okay. takes a few years on the tree for the, the cone to really be ideal and like have the most nutritional content in the seed and also be just kind of ripe or ready to go. The younger stuff hasn't fully developed. So you never know how many viable seeds you're going to get out of that. Mm, interesting. Yeah. That's awesome. I'm, I'm learning. I'm learning a lot. It's like not something I've ever really yeah. studied at all. But no, that the more I learn, the more I, the more interested I get. Yeah, it's making me think I want to do an episode on uh, cone collecting. 
because there's a lot there and it's such important work with uh, the state of the forest and the state of those trees right now. Uh, collecting those cones could be what, you know, allows generations from now to be able to walk through a sequoia forest. You know? Yeah. Yeah. You might, you might have ought to see if Steen will come on because uh, he'll, oh, yeah. he'll talk your ear off about it. Cool. Perfect. And he's been, he's been doing it for years and years. I think he says like, he's been in this game for like 35 years or something, not necessarily specifically collecting, but um, growing trees, growing redwoods. That's his expertise. Yeah. Cool. Um, anyone else have any cool stories from recent jobs or anything? I can't think of any that I've had. Nothing, nothing that cool. Yeah, yeah, nothing yeah that I cool. Think, uh, climbed climbed a couple cool walnuts recently, but yeah, not nothing like giant sequoias saving forest cool, you know. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's a mic drop for so Justin. How about those? How about the uh, thousand cankers disease? Are you are you seeing much of that? Because I'm seeing a lot of it. You know, we've I've definitely seen a bunch. I thought it was going to hit harder than it did here. You know, probably five or six years ago when I first started kind of getting tuned into it. It was actually probably a little earlier than that. You know, and it first hit and we were taking out big dead tops. And I don't know exactly why, but recently I haven't had nearly as much uh, thousand canker. Now, I've had some, you know, like taking out little bits of deadwood, but not like full removals. And we were just, uh, you know, the Walnut Lane off Harlow. There's some big here in Eugene, just gigantic black walnuts down there. That's and, weird. But if you're ever in Eugene, go to Walnut. And you're an arborist, go to Walnut at uh, Walnut Ave. Right? Wal Walnut Lane. Walnut Lane. It, it's, it's like insane. back in the day. That's where the walnut orchard was. Was that whole Harlow neighborhood? So some of the biggest walnut trees around are down there. And so we just got done taking care of all the dead wood and cleaning them out. And there's definitely uh, some dead wood on the ends of some of them. And I, I did see some little pinholes, and it's hard to tell. You know, there wasn't a lot. You know, if I see a ton of pinholes, then it's like, oh, yeah, this is probably a thousand canker. But I just see one or two little holes here or there. And I don't know if it's uh, another insect that's attacking the dead wood after it's already died or if exactly what it is. But uh, it was encouraging because we've been monitoring those trees for a while now, and you know they haven't been in decline in a uh, major way. So hopefully it stays that way. That's Fingers good. crossed. You know. Yeah. It it seems like these days there's so many different pests that are attacking the trees between the bronze birch borer and the pine beetles and everything. It's kind of yeah. nice to have one where it's not hitting as hard as we were scared it was going to hit. You know. <clears throat> I wish I could say the same, but it's a little bit, it's definitely worse up here. You've seen it pretty bad up there. Uh, I've seen it really bad. Yeah. Dang. So I don't know what the difference might be. Like, it doesn't seem like Eugene and Portland area are very different climate wise, but um, maybe it's just been here a little bit longer. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. And I've, I've definitely seen some trees that took, hit, got hit pretty hard. And maybe it's just by chance that I haven't seen the ones that, you know, maybe somebody else is taking care of them by chance. But, uh, <laughs> they already took them down. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, Jamie, weren't you telling me about one that you guys worked on with Green Tree? Yeah, and there's, I think, uh, OSU did a study, and there's been good success of 
you're not just removing the dead material, right? You want to make sure you're actually cutting into green tissue whenever you're doing the yeah. retrenchment yeah. on there. Yeah. So don't just stop at the dead. Keep going until you're into green tissue. And I've seen some, some walnuts, you know, totally bounce back and look great. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I've been working on a few for a couple of years now where I don't know. <laughs> some of them are actually sprouting back, but it's just the amount that they've died back. It's like, it's kind of depressing. I just keep cutting more and more out of them, but they really want to keep those trees. Um, so I can't, you know, I can't make that decision for them on when to remove it. I can suggest things all the time or yeah, try to be as clear as I can. Like, Hey, this is, this is a short-term solution where this tree is not going to win this, this, you know, battle. Like yeah. everything dies and this one's already starting off. Like, in a pretty bad way um but yeah this particular situation they just wanted to keep them it, it's one of the interesting things about our job is we're the experts but we don't really have final say you know uh dan how how's the thousand can yeah. going up yeah. in seattle yeah no we don't have those uh walnuts oh you don't have them up there no, very few walnuts. Unfortunate for us. I wish I could yeah. train in trees like that and climb trees like that, but very few, very few walnuts. Yeah. So. Well, oh. should we bring it back to aerial rescue and final thoughts kind of thing? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, what, what were, I guess, Jamie, what were your final thoughts on the uh, ARC? Um, I'll just say, I, I said it before in the in the conversation, is that, you know, in a real life scenario, a lot of people say, like, I'm not going to take the time to do that. I'm just going to get up there and do it. But, but we train this stuff, so all that stuff is kind of muscle memory or whatever, so you don't freeze up in this situation. And talking to people recently, I realized we don't train aero rescue enough. So these yeah. events are awesome to go to, you know. I mean, if you could, if you could get your crew doing it twice a year, like quarterly, like the city does is awesome. But even like twice a year, I think is huge and doable for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully, uh, you know, we get to the point where we can start organizing events where multiple people can come to and we can, you know, I think it's a great way for the arborist community to, you know, connect with each other and uh help uplift all of each other you know the rising tide lifts all boats type of a thing yeah it's fun too yeah it's fun uh charles what are what are your final thoughts yeah i know we touched on it a little bit but i think my favorite class from arc was patient assessment yeah so yeah. you know i think like jamie was saying it's an underrated or it has been an underrated as far as the trainings that we've done and been to and and i really appreciated steve's point of how common sense it was like you guys were saying you know it, it's still a thorough patient assessment but it's very common sense yeah. yeah yeah that was huge so yeah we'll keep training patient assessment and and make sure that uh, well i'm really looking forward to next year hell yeah yeah nice let's do that cross yeah, hall again real high quality <laughs> instructors those, those I'm guys really do that practice yeah. not screwing that up again <laughs> yeah <laughs> Yeah. Dan, final thoughts? Oh, yeah, I really I really like the class. Um I really thought that those instructors were high quality. 
lots of experience. And uh, so it, it's nice getting that kind of instructor really knows what he's doing and is, has seen a lot, done a lot. And uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to uh, some more of that. I'm still debating on whether to take a sprat class myself. I was thinking I wanted to do it, but it's, that means I'm not doing something else. Yeah. So. I know Charles and I were kind of jazzed on doing one. I don't know if you still are or not. Yeah, I still definitely would yeah. be. Yeah. It's about finding the time to do it. Exactly. And, and yeah. sign up. Once it's signed up, I'm totally there. But yeah. There's so many other things yeah. on the plate. Yeah. They do it in Bend. We'll have to keep an eye out. Oh, yeah. Or maybe they, I mean, they probably have classes closer to you, but that's the close one to us anyway. Right. Yeah. Close one would be nice. Yeah. 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 Cool. Justin. Oh yeah. Uh, I don't think I really have much to add as far as the class goes, but I, I do want to reiterate just how, how good it was to be with tree people again, you know, after a long time and not seeing people. So that was, that was probably my biggest takeaway. It was just good to be back. Yeah. And it sounds like you guys got the same thing at Naom again. So I'm yeah. just, I'm excited about keeping these things rolling. And when you can make it educational, that's, you know, two birds with one stone there. So, yeah, we'll get a climb together soon. I know I had one not too long ago and kind of canceled it due to rain, but we'll schedule one, rain or shine, and uh, you can come down and yeah, hang out. Aerial rescue sounds- and some work climbs and stuff, have some fun. Yeah. Well, Hey, Andrew, thank you for, uh, thank you for not going. Cause it meant I got to be on this team. (laughs) (laughs) No, but in all seriousness, yeah, I, I was looking forward to seeing you there too. I would have probably just got thrown in with some random team. So it was, it was nice to be a part of a part of this. I, and I want to thank all you guys for, uh, you know, putting up with me. Well, I, I can't say that I'm happy to help, but uh, I'm glad that you enjoyed yourself. <laughs> we um, missed you, definitely. Yeah. Hey, we'll we'll catch you next time. Yeah. Um, you know, I think my final thoughts listening to it, a lot of times when I'm training aerial rescue, my thought is how can I make it as simple as possible? Because, you know, you're kind of like what you're saying. You're trying to use the gear that you have on hand to do the rescue. But I think there's a lot of value in training a really complex situation that might be a little different than what you normally train because, you know, you're going to be looking at it from a different perspective and uh, hopefully learning, you know, learning something different, you know, and kind of learning something different with the hopes that you never use it. Um, With that, I'll say stay safe and keep an eye on those shady trees. Shady trees. (laughs) (laughs) Shady trees. (laughs) Ugh. <laughs>